Hello, everybody, and welcome to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT consultancy company talk about the IT industry related topics and things that interest us. My name is Julian Day, and with me, as always, are my two co hosts, Jatinda Candola and Will Dalton. How are you guys? Good, thank you. Yeah, good. Thank you. Good, good. Okay, so the first section of the show is news. So uh, each of us has prepared a news topic that we're going to chat about. Tinder, do you want to go first this week? Yeah, happy to do that. So the the item that I came across in terms of news this week was that the boss of Alphabet, which is the parent company for Google, has announced that all 200,000 odd employees and contractors for Google will continue working from home until July 2021. This is a big... I think stake in the sand in terms of one of the big companies making that kind of commitment that everybody can continue for at least another year. Is, is this COVID related or is it they just think they can get better, better productivity? So the article doesn't really say much beyond the announcement itself. Uh, I'm guessing it's more COVID related than to do with productivity analytics or what's best for the company. But I had already imagined them to be a very slick company that can work from anywhere and all that using a lot of the, the highest tech technology. Yeah, it's interesting. A friend of mine actually works for Google out in the States and um, he was saying something similar to this the other day that they didn't think they'd be back in the office for a very long time. So it's interesting that it's kind of becoming the norm for them. I wonder how much, uh, I mean, I know out in the States, um, they are not an organization like HP is over in the UK here, where people are majority based at home. So I wonder how big a shift it actually is for them. Does the article say anything about that at all? Or no, it's literally just a very short news item saying just that, talking a little bit about the boss and about how this is more so to help people with that work-life balance and the uncertainty of parents needing to be more flexible and available for children, given the current scenario and um, possibly even the impacts of smaller kind of lockdowns happening in local areas. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's going to be the way things go, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, one of the things was uh, I mentioned this to somebody at work today and they were talking about development of young people within big organizations. So it's easier to do that in person, shadowing, working with them in person and trying to monitor them in different ways. So it, it begs a question in terms of are they kind of writing off certain things for the rest of the year? Yeah, mm. yeah, big shift. Uh, Will, did you have a news item you wanted to go through? Yeah, I do. Oh, let me touch on something first. You know, I was talking about the Sonus, Patrick Spence, CEO of Sonus, that catastrophic email he sent out before about bricking, sorry, discontinuing aged <laughs> <laughs> hardware. <laughs> so, you, you know, he rolled back on that statement. Oh, I didn't know that. So, so this was the email that Sonus sent out saying any device that's older than a certain number of years is going to be bricked, basically, or we're not going to support it anymore. That's right. Yeah. And then he rolled back on it and said, well, no, 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 you don't have to do that. We, we obviously support all your, all your, your, your investments because there was a massive outcry, wasn't there? Uh, and I think there's something funny as well about certain types of hardware. People get emotionally attached to it. But anyway, um, so I thought I'd tell you what their solution is, right? So, so, they've, in, so they've introduced a new, a new app called Sonus, which was interestingly what the old app was called. And then they've renamed the old app um, to Sonus S1. So you can see where the direction of travel is there. <laughs> so now you've got two apps on your phone. <laughs> one to control your, uh, two apps to control your Sonus ecosystem. One for the new hardware, and it will only work with new hardware. And one for either your old hardware 
or a mix of old hardware and new hardware. If you've got old hardware in the mix, yeah, your new hardware will sort of you know lowest common denominator. It will just act as the same. So they've effectively just created two branches of the same app and they're now going to have to maintain both, which is precisely what they wanted to avoid in the first place. Well, exactly. Hence why I thought it'd be interesting to tell you what the solution is. You know, there's always, there's always sort of like a press, a press release. No, 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 we've got to do that. So actually, there's the solution. That is wonderful. I question the wisdom of that, obviously, but then I guess you would as well. So Yeah, and having two apps to control the same thing, you know, it's a pain. It's a real pain, isn't it? Yeah, it's horrible. Are there any other kind of master all devices and stuff that you could use instead? What do you mean? So you can get your download apps to act like remote controls for your TV, regardless of what technology. Oh, yeah. So do they have an API that someone could write an app for that would enable them to govern both the old and new devices? Does Sonos allow that or is it a walled garden? Well, you can. So the app does. So there is the the, the old app, the new old app or the old new app. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not confusing at all this is it does govern it does manage new new and old hardware together yeah but but it, but it will it will manage it as an old hardware do you know what i mean so you'll get the updates that you would for old hardware you won't get the new updates that are only dedicated to new hardware I, I, in a way i suppose hardware has to evolve your software evolves so they want to take advantage of the new features so they do have a problem but there's your solution Fascinating. Okay. So my item of news uh, is that Microsoft have revealed uh, in the last uh, few hours, in fact, that um, they've managed to run a full rack of servers for 48 hours using electricity generated by hydrogen fuel cells. So it's it's an interesting step um, because it raises a number of different questions. So obviously, from a it struck a chord with me because I think particularly me and Will are quite interested in uh, eco friendly sort of technologies and all those kinds of things. It's something that fits with sort of DDK's values. But you know that there are questions around this because in order to uh, to run you know this rack of sen- uh, data in order to rack this run this rack of servers, excuse me, you you need an awful lot of uh, hydrogen. And the question is, how do you produce the stuff? I mean, you're talking about, um, you know, if you're going to run an actual data center for 48 hours with five nines availability. So uh, five nines for those who sort of aren't in the IT industry basically means uh, 9.99999 type recurring availability, which equates to something like five minutes and 26 seconds of downtime a year, something like that. So, you know, ludicrously available. So basically the service is never, ever down. If you were going to run a data center, you would need something like 100,000 kilograms of hydrogen in order to do that for two days uh, at five nine type availability. So there's a photograph actually of, of what they used just to run sort of one rack of, of servers that they used for their experiment. And it's three absolutely enormous trailers sat out in the car park or parking lot outside this data center. They're, they're just huge, you know, and they've used all this hydrogen in order to run these things. So it raises a few interesting questions about, you know, uh, how you're how you're going to be able to do this sustainably, given that you can fit a diesel generator that will do the same job inside the data center itself, you know, without needing an enormous enclosure and to produce all these thousands of tons of hydrogen. How do they get those trailers there in the first place? So big, huge diesel trucks. <laughs> Presumably with a big, huge diesel truck. Yeah. But, but the point was, it was, the point was, it was an experiment. It's not meant to be a solution. It's, you know, it's a step, it's a stepping stone. And they've set out this goal, which is that by 2030, uh, they will be able to achieve their availability in their data centers using something like hydrogen technology, using a fully sustainable technology, which I think is to be applauded, really. But it's, um, 
it's just mind boggling, you know, the practicalities of making something like this work. But it's it's incredible that they've actually done it, you know, and, and I guess uh, fair play to them. There's a big move there, actually. I think in data centers, especially with cloud computing. So I think Microsoft are on about um, being cloud negative, not even cl- cloud negative. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, given their marketing, yeah? <laughs> yeah, they won't make any money. Yeah, we don't like us here. It's rubbish. <laughs> Um, carbon negative. So not even carbon neutral, carbon negative by, I think it was 2050 or something like that in terms of the year, which would be incredibly impressive if they, if they, if they achieve that. So obviously they're, they're looking at all these kind of, all these experiments to see what, which one's, which one's the best solution. They, uh, when I clicked on the photo, I really wasn't expecting what I saw. So I think I might actually put it out on the, uh, put a link in the description when I, I publish the, the podcast and also um, maybe tweet it out on DDK's Twitter as well uh, at DDK Limited, because it's uh, yeah, it is it is slightly slightly bonkers, but you have to see it as an experiment, you know, and as a step in the right direction. So I thought that was fascinating. It's interesting. Cool. Uh, we'll move on to the next section of the show, if that's okay. So, Will, uh, you're evangelising about this week's topic. Do you want to fill us in on what we're talking about? Yep, sure. So I want to talk about measuring intelligence. <laughs> you would talk to the right people. Yeah, definitely. No, we're we're all about that. We lo- we love us some intelligence. <laughs> It's based on an article from uh, medium.com, which is titled How I Learned to Have Uncomfortable Conversations uh, by Daniel Shiner. I think it's Shiner. It might be Shiner. S-H-I-N-E-R. I'd say Shiner. You say Shiner, yes? Should we go with Shiner? Apologies, Daniel. Uh, Massive apologies, yeah, to Daniel if if that's incorrect and we're dishonouring your family. So measuring intelligence uh, has been around for a while uh, in some shape or form. And it's really sort of used to define us in a lot of, in a lot of cases. Uh, and certainly certain leaders, <laughs> world leaders, go on about it a lot. Naming no names. Yeah, naming no names. Uh, kind of justification of what they say, especially if they're saying provocative things. Uh, and, and, and sometimes high IQ is, is used as a badge of honour. So IQ, which is a measure, one, one dimension of a measure of intelligence which is about reasoning and recall. Being around for a long time, invented by a French psychologist, Alfred Binet, if you wanted to know that. That's another awesome pronunciation of a surname there. <laughs> Doing well. You're two for two. Asked to come up with a test by French government to identify students who'd, be, who'd, who'd, who'd have the most difficulty in school. EQ, which is emotional intelligence, which is all about empathising, being able to self-regulate, uh, being able to appreciate other people. Uh, and we, we, we talk a lot about empathy in our, in our company as well. I and mean, it's some of the things that we talk about on our website. That came around about the 1990s, 1995. There's a new dimension to intelligence, which is sort of the basis of this article, which is AQ, which is about assertiveness, um, which is sort of anti-EQ, if you like. <laughs> Not necessarily. I guess you can kind of be assertive and emotionally emotionally intelligent at the same time, surely. Which is sort of what he talks about, yeah. So instead of knowing how to make, uh, how to make other feel good, it, it, it sort of gives people the courage to maybe do the opposite. That is to say things that others don't want to hear, but you think is the right thing to say. Um, so somewhere is a healthy middle ground. I can see why this article appealed to you. <laughs> We're already starting to categorise everybody into <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Sounds right up your alley, this one. Uh, so assertive people are those with, with high IQ. 
can comfortably engage in the sorts of conversations that <laughs> make normal people squirm. I know you're thinking about me now, you guys. <laughs> uh, so, but however, they ask for things they want, they decline the things they don't, they provide constructive feedback, and they, they engage in direct confrontation and debate. What was, the, what was the conclusion of the article? What was the sort of closing statement and his, his kind of, his thesis, I guess, on, if that's the right word, his, his conclusions anyway on, on the topic? What was the sort of thing that sewed it up? Well, his... his, his his article is about how if you if you think of emotional intelligence and assertiveness as an intelligence level, that having high being highly assertive without being emotionally intelligent basically just means you're an arsehole. <laughs> being having high assertiveness with high emotional intelligence is where you where your respected leaders sit. So. All, the, all, all those respective leaders that are running companies or running governments or running countries who are respected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I need to say that. I need to say that at the end, yeah. <laughs> you know, have, have the high emotional intelligence and, but are coupled with high assertiveness. Uh, the point of the article was that all is not lost if you have low assertiveness but high emotional intelligence, you know, if you're if you're a people pleaser, but you want to progress, there are ways in which you can you can train yourself to become more respected by having a higher degree of assertiveness uh, or AQ, as they say. Interestingly, more difficult, more difficult if you have a high degree of assertiveness but low emotional intelligence, i.e., you're an arsehole. It's more different. It's more difficult to become a respected leader from an arsehole as opposed to becoming a respected leader from a people pleaser. I think we'll just leave that one there, shall we, before we start talking about anybody obvious. <laughs> so um, it's an interesting article because he then, he basically conducts this experiment on himself where he spends, uh, he goes out of his comfort zone. And that's basically the, 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 the point of this, that he goes out of his comfort zone to train himself to become more assertive. And while the things he does, the, the kind of things, so the kind of things that he does is he goes into, he, first of all, he goes to a town where he knows no one, which may be a good thing. He then goes to coffee shops, for example, and he'll, he'll, he'll just go to a coffee shop and walk to the front of the queue <laughs> and just take the flack from people. I'm not sure how this, this trains you to be more assertive, but I suppose it's, it's about... It sounds like it trains you to be an arsehole. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it is. But remember, remember being an arsehole is about is having high assertiveness. Um, so, and this is what it's about. It's about improving his assertiveness, not improving his emotional intelligence. So is, is he trying to, trying to compensate for a lack of one of the two qualities that he says you need then? So is he trying to, to boost his own assertiveness score to go with presumably a decent emotional intelligence score so that he will end up being a respected leader? So is the idea that if you behave like an arsehole for a few weeks, by the time you've finished, if you then go back to being normal but more assertive, you'll be awesome? Well, exactly. And not all these tests are arsehole tests. (laughs) (laughs) That can be be interpreted in many ways. And it's part of the training that Will mentioned is to, to, to get yourself comfortable to be able to do these things without faltering in terms of your judgment. I think uh, the article leads on to a point where he actually practices back in his workplace later on. Uh, but doing these things helps build up that confidence to be able to act in, on behave in that way in those circumstances when you know the person on the other side is feeling slightly uncomfortable or is questioning your kind of your integrity almost as a, as a human being. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's, 
if in fact it's interesting that in having high high emotional intelligence showing empathy to others which is obviously a very positive skill to have and also and also with IQ as well that under pressure and I know this this happens to me as well that under pressure or if you're if if you're within an uh, in conflict with with someone or an environment with a high degree of conflict that your EQ and your IQ suffers you know, you, you, how often have you gone to something where, where there's conflict and you've come out of it thinking, oh, I wish I didn't really portray myself or present myself in the best way that I think I could um, because of that conflict. And in a way, that's what he's trying to do is he's, he's going into situations where he's creating conflict himself to see how he performs under that and to make sure that really he represents himself to, to the intelligence level in terms of emotional intelligence he knows he has. Which is interesting in itself. It's that whole thing of, you know, you're at a party or something and someone says something and then um, 10 minutes later when the moment's passed, you think of the perfect retort and you think, oh man, like, why did I not say that? That would have been awesome and everyone would have laughed and I would have been great. And yeah, but it, it it's that whole being able to do that off the cuff, which separates separates people isn't it it sets them apart the ones who really can just improvise off the cuff and and do that sort of stuff sorry one one of the other kind of important factors of the um articles around uh, you can nurture two out of the three in terms of aq and eq whereas iqs obviously you can develop your iq but it tends to be more of a natural thing based on genetics although i would say that you can have an, a high a high IQ, or not even a high. You can have a decent IQ, but don't represent yourself well if conflict yeah. arise arises. Yeah. And it's that kind of assertiveness training that would help you just to represent yourself to the to the level that you know you can do. Um, which is which is interesting. I think there's definitely there's definitely something something in it. While while I think the experiences he chose, you know, were a bit questionable, maybe a bit lame in some sense confronting your fear and doing something that pushes you out of your comfort zone has tangible, I, th- I think it certainly has tangible benefits in, in the article. I agree with those principles that the article's portraying. So are we saying then that what DDK is recommending here is be an arsehole to people for a couple of weeks and then turn <laughs> yourself into a great leader? <laughs> well, that's why I say I'm not quite sure of his experiences. I think you need to be, I think you need to be assertive, assertive you know, I think you need to do experiments the way, where you can be assertive um, and creating conflict. Is, I suppose creating conflict, you can create conflict in, in, I mean, one of them was he lay on the floor in a public space and stared at the ceiling for 20 seconds. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's going to have, he's going to have, it's embarrassing for him to do that and uh, questionable whether makes you more assertive or not but you know it's not all about being an arsehole he was kind enough to point out that not every person could do that and that him being a white male in was it new york where he was doing that was probably a bit more acceptable compared to somebody like me being an asian male with a a massive beard going into a a major city and trying something like that so i think it's a matter of him doing something that he thinks can help him get to that point that is measurable in terms of risk and impact that he can kind of control whereas somebody like me i i wouldn't even try that for a start i'd probably try and pick some some other kind of safer environment yeah which is sad in a way you know that's sad in itself that you have to modify the things that you can do just because of your cultural background you know what i mean, I mean that's that's terrible in a way yeah it is i, I mean I- I guess it sounds to me like it, the 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 theory is sound, but the uh, the method was 
lacking. I mean, obviously, I, I haven't actually read the article yet, but um, it, I, I wanted to come at it fresh. And I think that it just sounds to me like it's, it, you know, he's got a good idea there, but his way of trying to build up your assertiveness, there are definitely other ways to be to become more assertive than acting like a either a lunatic or an arsehole <laughs> to people uh, in public places. You know, you can you can do um, a lot more public speaking, you know, if that's your particular thing that you're, you're worried about, or you can you can make a conscious effort with people who know what you're doing. Or uh, There's all sorts of different ways I can imagine you could do that without needing such a kind of shock therapy method. But I, yeah. I don't know what you guys yeah. think, but it just seems like it's, it's sort of slightly shock factory a little bit. It's a bit clickbaity, it feels doing all these sort of mad things to try and uh, improve yourself. Or I can imagine how somebody would turn it into clickbait and kind of be like, you know, behave like an arsehole for two weeks and then you'll suddenly be a great leader. And, you know, it just, to me, that doesn't really stand up. But I can see how needing to link emotional intelligence and assertiveness is is really important because if you don't have the appropriate emotional intelligence as a balancing factor and you apply assertiveness in the wrong way, then you're just going to end up really upsetting people. I guess that's that's the main thrust, isn't it? You know, don't sort of um, don't be uh, don't blunder over people's feelings and be uh, don't, don't fail to be emotionally intelligent. Don't be an arsehole. That is literally a beautifully succinct way of putting all the waffle that I just came out with. <laughs> but but yeah, um, but I guess he's kind of saying do and don't. Mm. Because he's kind of saying, do be an arsehole for a bit in order to build up the courage. To he not- was using that as some examples. I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I think there were, there were quite a few examples that, that he used. I think the general principle is go out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And I think um, he's, he's trying to come up with things that people can relate to. I think um, one of the kind of things that he's trying to tackle or, or develop is that ability to think clearly under pressure and then also respond with what you think is your true thought process rather than being kind of subdued by external pressures where somebody's speaking to you in a very aggressive tone and just going, trying to kind of close a conversation just to, to get out of it and then dealing with it outside of the, that kind of environment. And allowing him to kind of develop certain some characteristics through this, these exercises and these kind of this experiment um, allows him to become more comfortable with other people's uh, reactions in, in that type of situation where somebody is being aggressive towards him or somebody feels nervous around him or there is a sense of anxiety from as a reaction to what he is doing or saying allows him to control it a bit better or become a bit more familiar with it. Uh, so I think a lot of it is around his personal development to help people to understand how they can kind of use some of these patterns and some of these exercises to, to help them also on that journey of developing AQ. I mean, it was interesting how uh, he took himself out to another, you know, he spent actually spent quite a lot of money in doing this yeah. exercise. You know, he booked a flight, he booked a really nice hotel, he went far away um, in order to give him the pressure. <laughs> so he yeah. felt the pressure that he had to do. I mean, I remember when I, in a similar vein, I wanted to do something that filled me with genuine fear. I wanted to do one thing a year that filled me with genuine fear. And one of the things I was thinking of doing was to do a stand up comedy routine <laughs> in front of the general public. <laughs> But my mistake was that I 
told everyone that I was going to do this and uh, that I was going to do this. And, and in telling everyone, that sort of gave me a, f- a sort of fake achievement yeah. that I'd done something, even though I hadn't done it. And in the end, I didn't actually do it. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, I sort of, I, I, I devalued, if you like, uh, the currency of me actually doing something that would take me out of comfort zone. And, that, and, he, and he mentions that in that he booked all this stuff, he spent a lot of money and he told no one. And he just then went and did it. And, uh, and that's an interesting point he made as well in the article. I think he cited examples as well of Bill Gates doing something similar in terms of spending a lot of money to work in isolation so that he's, he's kind of made that commitment up front that he's going to do whatever he's doing for a week. Um, and same with J.K. Rowling or something like that. Yeah. So do we, drawing this, uh, this section to a close, do we think that this has some, some practical applications for us in what we do or for people generally? Um, what, was, what were your sort of takeaways? Start with Jatinder maybe. So I think that if anybody is interested in the topic, it's a very good read. Uh, just to learn a bit more about EQ, IQ, AQ, how they kind of work with each other and how you can kind of start to measure them for yourselves. I think that's, it's a good starting point for that, just for your awareness. I think in terms of how to develop one or the other, I think it's interesting to read the article to see how he did it because it's a very personal journey. It's written quite well. It's easy to read and you can kind of see and understand his characteristics before, uh, the, before doing the exercise, whilst doing the exercise and where he's trying to go. Um, so I recommend reading it just for knowledge awareness to, to kind of introduce yourself to the concepts and start to explore the subject if you're interested in developing your EQ, IQ and AQ. Yeah, I think from my point of view, just before we move on to Will, I think, um, I mean, I, I didn't read the article because I, I thought it was a good idea to have someone who is kind of coming at these concepts fresh. And I think that from what I've heard, you know, it, it makes sense that um, there is definitely an area that everybody can work on here. I think this is definitely something that I've tried to do maybe unconsciously or subconsciously in the past. <laughs> unconsciously, yeah, I was, I was passed out. Um but no, you know, subconsciously, I think I've, I've, I've always tried to sort of look at, at opportunities to, to challenge myself, particularly in the field of public speaking, because I'm one of those bizarre people that really enjoys it. But it's, it's that whole thing that um, I think David Coulthard once said that the day he wasn't nervous before a race was the day he would stop racing. Um, and I think that kind of a similar thing happened to me when I, you know, I realized that I really enjoyed standing up and kind of talking in front of people and, and trying to kind of read the room and, and use a bit of emotional intelligence as well as a bit of assertion to get my points across but you there's always going to be that fear factor i think um and it's actually sometimes i would say it's actually a really good and natural thing to have that a bit of nervousness as long as it's not so overpowering that it destroys your performance is actually a very good thing and i think that's important to recognize as well when you're talking about this type of topic because um yeah you know you can develop your iq eq and aq but but also it is quite healthy in some ways to to have a bit of fear and to try to step outside of your comfort zone on the, on the day, you know, when you act, like kind of peak for the event. So that that that's kind of how I think about this stuff. Will, what did you think? Yeah, that's a very good point, actually, Julian. Um, yeah, I like the article. I, I thought it, it was a good read. Uh, it was interesting to get to 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 read about his take on things and the examples that he used, even if you, even if you don't agree with them. It'd be interesting to look at or list, you know maybe between the three of us or others listening to this, list those things that potentially you could do. 
That's an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it would also be interesting to know about emotional intelligence because I think it was he would, his take was on assertiveness, which is interesting because it's a new it's a new dimension to measuring intelligence, and that was sort of part of the point of the article. But also, it would be good to look at those things that could help train your emotional intelligence. So in the in the end, a good article worth a read. Yeah, and uh, I will I will definitely link it in the description for of the podcast, and uh, we'll tweet it out as well on um, the DDK Twitter. Nineteen minutes read, by the way, a nineteen minutes read. So it doesn't take a lot of time. It's not too long. Uh, that's good. Okay, um, we'll move on to the next section of the show if we can. So this is the recommendations section. Jatinda, do you want to go first this week? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, so my recommendation this week is a subscription to The Economist. So I've had one for a few years. Uh, I never used to read it. It just made me feel like I was a smart person having a subscription to The Economist. Uh, it used to be a good read when I had time for it. Um, but having a subscription to the paper copy gives you a booklet every week that takes a week to read. Uh, so sometimes you have to kind of really focus on the articles that interest you. But having the online subscription uh, gives you daily email updates. So it will send you five or six headlines of important things, global news items uh, as an email that you could literally read within two minutes on your phone. Uh, and then it gives you links to kind of access other sources and go straight into the app and, and actually read other versions of the articles and um, associated subjects and stuff like that. So I think um, having the app version of it and having this kind of email subscription uh, is definitely worthwhile. And it's making me now read the full version as well. That sounds awesome. Um, how much is it? And uh, is there a different subscription for the uh, online version versus the paper copy? Um, yes, I think there is a paper only and then a paper plus online. Um, the figures at the moment off the top of my head, they have these kind of um, offers on every few weeks, £12 for 12 weeks. And I've always just used the £12 for 12 weeks and then you can end your subscription before the price goes up and then start again the, the week later. But right now, I've signed up to a year subscription to really force me to read it. I've forgotten how much it was. I think it's in, in around the £200 mark for a year. Each version of the hard copy is about £4, £5 in the shop. So you, you save money over the course of the year. That was the problem with The Economist, I found, because I subscribed to it a while back as well, is there's just so much content and it comes out every week. It's, it just doesn't give you time. So that, that um, five-article digest that they email out. That sounds a really good idea. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, like you say, there's a lot of content for a week's worth of, uh, of action or news around the world. And having a, a technology, technology quarterly as well fills out even more because they have like a 15-page spread on just what's going on in technology. So, um, yeah, it's definitely more digestible. Will, do you want to go next with your recommendation? Okay, so I'm reading a book by, here we go, I'm going to do another name pronunciation that's going to be wrong. Reading a book by Ted Chiang, C-H-I-A-N-G. I'm pretty sure you're three for three now. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> Called Exhalation. It's a second, it's his second collect, second book, which is a collection of short stories in a sort of sci-fi future, near future mold. And he's basically collected his stories that he's published over the years from other publications. So sort of think Asimov robot stories. And, and Black Mirror, 
you know, originally from Channel 4. She's now with Netflix, along with the rest of the world. So one of these short stories is really good. So I'll just I'll quickly mention this. It's about the life cycle. Of, it's called the life cycle of software objects. And it's about virtual reality, virtual virtual, roles, virtual worlds. Remember, um, do you anyone remember Second Life, which was on the PC, where you had a kind yeah. of virtual world? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so in this kind of in this kind of near future world, he taught that the real world and the virtual world are very tightly coupled um, in a person's day to day life, and they sort of they they run in parallel with you in both real world and virtual world. The story basically is based on this groundbreaking invention in the virtual world, where they create an artificial intelligence based off based off genome. Um, and how that evolves and the impacts and how it's impacted by humans and human behavior with all the great and the nastiness that comes with humans. Um, very interesting short story. And there are a whole lot of other short stories around, around that. A lot of influence, I think, from Asimov. But very good. Interestingly enough, the first book he wrote, um, Story of Your Life and Others, it's called, contained the short story, which the film Arrival. Do you remember the film Arrival? Yes. No, brilliant, brilliant film. Denis Villeneuve film. Yeah, I really like Arrival. Yeah, Arrival was based off one of the short stories in that book, which I didn't know. Um, so I recommend them wholeheartedly, both, both, both books. But I'm currently reading the second one. Cool. Yeah, great. <laughs> I'm almost tempted to make Arrival my recommendation for, for this week. In fact, I will do. Mm. Yeah, uh, let's, <laughs> I'm not going to go with what I was originally going to recommend. I'm going to recommend Arrival because Arrival's awesome. So yeah, it's a film starring um, Jamie Renner and Amy Adams uh, from various superhero franchises. Um, so he's Hawkeye in Marvel and she's Lois Lane in, in the most recent DC movies. But they both have quite a large body of work behind them in other ways as well. And it's directed by Denis Villeneuve, who also did Blade Runner 2049, um, which I'm a massive fan of as well. Yeah, I love that as well. He, I mean, he he's just, he's one of my favourite directors. He's just fantastic. And it's an incredible sort of almost meditation on the human condition, but through the lens of, I guess, of kind of aliens arriving, but they're not invading and trying to kill everybody they're just trying to communicate and they have their own reasons for wanting to communicate and uh, it's a beautifully shot film the cinematography is incredible from a technical point of view it's, it's just brilliantly put together and uh, it deals with language and love and time and space and it, it's just excellent i think it's a brilliant movie and i yeah if you haven't seen it you should definitely definitely watch arrival it's uh, it's fantastic Read, read the short story first, I'd say. Really? Would you? I always go story first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you see, I, I don't know, because with Arrival, I went into it knowing pretty much nothing about it other than it was by Daniel Villeneuve and, and it had some good people and I thought the trailer looked kind of interesting. And they didn't do the thing that they often do where they give away far too much, I don't think, in, in the trailer. So I went in having no real idea what was going to happen. And it kind of, it didn't blow my mind, but it, you know, it was... It was amazing. You know, it was a real journey. And I think if I'd read the story, so I knew kind of what the central conceit was, which I'm not going to spoil here and we definitely shouldn't. I, I, I'm i not sure if I would have enjoyed it as much, to be honest. I don't know. It's an, it's an interesting question. Did you read the story before you saw the film? No, I've only actually just recently discovered the book and the author uh, and then found out that uh, that um, Arrival was based off the story of Life and Others, the the, the short story in the book. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but it's interesting, actually, now in how Arrival, the film, I mean, I love the film. I agree with you. It was, it was a great film. Um, but he seems to he seems to use AI and technology and human behavior, 
how it how they relate to each other and how one impacts the other. He seems to use that in a lot of his stories. So that's it's 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 a very interesting take on technology, actually. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Excellent. Well, I think, chaps, that is the show. So, if you uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, we are at www.ddklimited.com. Uh, if you want to tweet us, we are at ddklimited. And if you want to send us an email, which you're more than welcome to do, uh, we might read a few of them out on the podcast in the future. So, if you've got ideas for things you want us to talk about, topics you might want us to cover, things like that, we are at ddkpod at ddklimited.com. That's ddkpod or one word at ddklimited com and i'll include that uh, in the description so just remains me to say thank you very much to everyone for uh, listening thank you to will and jatinda for being here today and um take care of yourselves everybody stay safe out there do you want to say goodbye guys goodbye <laughs> thank you and goodbye thanks very much bye <laughs>